Hey, good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming again to Bethel Radio Hour um, on what has become another winter day, as is pretty predictable for March. It's summer, it's winter, it's summer, it's winter, cold rain. Um, thank you that you weathered it out. Um, we're still discussing Paul's missionary journeys, and I imagine we will take this on through the rest of our season here. Um, we're in Acts chapter 16. We'll be in verses 6 through 10. Um, so, Ben, do you mind opening up and reading that? Do not mind at all. All right. Now, when they had gone throughout Pergia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. So just at face value, before we dig into any questions, what is happening in this passage? So this is famously called the Macedonian call. This is where uh, the Holy Spirit just left no stone unturned and made it as clear as anybody would want the Holy Spirit to make it. <coughs> you are supposed, <coughs> excuse me, you are supposed to go to this place and spread the gospel. And so that's what they did. But as a Bible student at Central Baptist College, we all knew what the Macedonian call was. And um, as, you know, I've been in this now since uh, 1985, and uh, mission entities, mission organizations, anybody involved in missions knows what the Macedonian call is. If you are struggling with one, whether or not you have been called to missions specifically, most missionaries will tell you that sooner or later you will have a Macedonian call. And uh, Rick Warren had one as far as where he was supposed to go in Orange County, California. John Smith had one as far as where he was supposed to go at Kiowa, Colorado. In other words... Pullman seemed to have had one. Yes, absolutely. Uh, divine appointments where someone from that field supernaturally ends up in your sphere of influence. For John, uh, it was at a real estate uh, situation. And for... Uh, Rick Warren, it was on an airplane. Uh, he was a real estate agent, quite remarkably. But as these people share their vision of planting a church, these people will usually say, come where I live. Come where I live. We need a good gospel-preaching church. And there's your Macedonian call. Now, uh, you know, the devil knows how to call people too, so you, you still got to pray through and the such, but, but the Holy Spirit will make it absolutely evident. And so this certainly was Paul's Macedonian call. Yeah, I lost track of the fact that it wasn't just the Macedonian call. It was also the major minor nope. Uh, Correct. It comes right before this call. So. Yeah, we're fixing to dive into that, I think. Yeah, we are. So, you know, just at face value with reading this, it says that um, they're trying to go on their way, and it says specifically the Holy Spirit forbid them to speak the word in Asia why? Why Why stop there? Why would the Holy Spirit 
you know, we're wanting to preach the gospel to all the world, right? To the ends of the Correct. world. That's the goal. So why would there be this stop sign right. now? And help me if, if I'm wrong. Counting, the Holy Spirit actually forbade them twice. They, they, they tried two different, you know, approaches and both times, thanks but no thanks. And then they get the Macedonian call and they realize, oh, okay, this is why he said no there. Now, you know, as far as why... Uh, I tried to answer this. Uh, it, simply, it was his will. It was his will for them to go to Macedonia. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, this This is just Ben Kingston talking. Who knows the mind of God? Someone once said wisdom is doing the exact same thing that God would do if we stood that high enough to see what he sees. So it was his will for the gospel to be preached in Macedonia before those other places. Now, uh, John MacArthur states uh, in that particular part of his commentary on this passage that um, this passage illustrates the foundational principles of evangelism. God uses people with the right passion and the right priority, with the right personnel, taking the right precautions to make the right presentation in the right place. Any evangelistic methodology must be evaluated in light of such realities. And later, he basically says that the gospel was eventually taken to those other areas, but it, it just wasn't time, you know, right now. And I have a saying about that that I use apply to a lot of things, but yeah. the right thing at the wrong time is still the wrong the thing. The wrong thing. Um, That's and I right. apply that to a lot of areas, right. but I mean, certainly it's true of this moment as well. And it could have been not even time. It could have just been the person. Maybe you wanted somebody else to go there. Cause, Different tool. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, you know, was there a Billy Graham type, you know, in, in that? Well, Timothy. I mean, he finds mm-hmm. Timothy and, and the such. So. Absolutely. We, we, we ultimately, you know, God doesn't bless us with that information, but we can. We know how God works generally. And so he had reasons not to let Paul go to those other places. And we know from history that he did eventually, someone did, go to those places. So you can't, I don't think, blame God. Well, you didn't love those people. No, it's got nothing to do with that. Uh, whether or not he loves any and everyone has forever been answered on the cross of Christ. So... And the, the cultural ba- backdrop behind this too, and this is just supposition on my part, but Macedonia was the thro- was the uh, kingdom of Alexander the Great, and he, one of the main cities of his kingdom, and it was on the way out mm. as far as power is gone. And Ro- of course, Rome was in its full swing, so it could take generations, maybe even a century, for the ground to be. Plowed, cultivated, and, and ready yeah. for seed. Um, and Asia Minor is just about to be on the rise again right. from from Rome under Rome's shadow. So, looking at the thing culturally, you can see that there may have been a void or ground that had been plowed and prepared in Macedonia, and also in in the Roman kingdom, in the subjects of Rome. I'm sure the gospel was a welcome. Uh, introduction to them or, or, or a way, an, an, something they were ready to embrace. And then Asia Minor, they come up shortly after the Roman Empire. So um, who knows? Right. Uh, the workings were there for the preparation for the gospel. So, I mean, you, you basically have asked this question, was God against these areas? This is John MacArthur's words again. Uh, the reason we know that he wasn't against them is that because the gospel would be preached later because there are churches, meaning in Bible times, in these areas um, that they are forbidden to go now 
uh, but later that would be a, there'd be a church in Ephesus, Smyrna, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Colossae, Sardis, Pergamum, and Thyatira. For now, however, God had other plans for the missionaries, and somehow they were bidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. That, that's John MacArthur's words. So how did they know that the Holy Spirit was saying, not here, here? How, how do they know? Let, forbidden. I mean, that seems pretty strong. Say again? For, it was forbidden for them to go. Yeah, to but how was that communicated, you think? To the Holy Spirit? I, yeah. I'm sure. How did, they, how did they get the morning? idea? <laughs> I've been in the midst of a dealing and had severe warnings that was just would strike fear in my you know, my core. Right. And so warnings and right. not, just don't do it. Just you don't bet. Do it. I call it the bell tower. You know, every one of us as Christians, we have a bell tower. And when the Holy Spirit is trying to get our attention, uh, if, if for whatever reason we're not listening to the small, still voice, because that's how he wants to communicate. He wants to basically whisper, and he wants us to be absolutely attentive. You know, uh, walking in the Spirit is uh, instant obedience to the initial promptings of the Holy Spirit. That, that's the best definition I've ever heard, and we're going to talk about that more later. But with that said, you've got to be listening to the small, still voice for that instant obedience. Well, I'm so thankful <laughs> that when we're not in that frame, he, he's not shy to get our attention. And so, you know, it, it's a legitimate question, but the answer almost sounds frivolous, but it's not. He made it obvious. He, he made it obvious to them. Uh, they were attentive. Uh, and then, you know, I, I put here in my notes, the small, still voice is deafening when we are quiet and seeking. And so I dare say that, that these guys, I mean, they were literally asking God, where do you want us to go? And then and after, they had obviously a feeling of, well, we're not supposed to go here, so then they've got to be wondering, well, we're not just supposed to sit and do nothing, so where do we go? And then immediately after, he confirmed to go to Macedonia. So as a Christian, you ha- and I'm sorry, Tara, you, you have these counterintuitive, if you will, and opposing forces. Don't just do something. Stand there. Okay? And then you have this. Don't just stand there. Do something. You know? And so which is it? So, okay. <laughs> it's both. Just a three-by-five card. Yeah, that's right. It's both. Because, and I think you start with don't just do something. Stand there. You know, you ever heard, we've seen them at sitcoms all the time. Right before the walk, the boss walks in, somebody says, look busy. Well, that ain't going to fly with Jesus. Well, you know, I have said before, if you're not sure what to do, doing nothing is also an option. That's right. And that's not applicable to every situation, but it can be applied uh, wisely. And keep praying. Absolutely. Keep knocking. Usually, yeah. Usually a temporary do-nothing. Yeah. Correct. That, yeah. That's, exa- that's exactly yeah. right. It's a temporary do-nothing. Um, because, you know, how many people in the name of, well, I'm not just going to stand here. I'm going to do something. They've ended up doing the wrong thing, you know, it, with good intentions. With and they have to decades. live with that, right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, what's the name? Henry Blackaby is the one that made that first phrase. Don't just do something. Stand there. Uh, he made with experiencing God. But... I don't think Henry even thinks that that's going to take seven years right? or seven months in or the, seven days maybe. Even. In the same discussion of the scripture, um, I use John MacArthur frequently, and he said, you know, when it comes to doing something, um, following God's will, he's like, sometimes you just have to get started. Just do something. Yeah. Start, do, start moving in a direction, and if it's not right, 
God's going to turn it right. and move you the other way. But sometimes you just need to get started. And they tried. They, they, they tried to go forward, and God said no. And then it backed up, and then they tried to go the another no. Okay, Lord. You know, and, and then that night, uh, I assume, uh, the Holy Spirit made it obvious. Um, and and I, I, everything we're saying here is accurate and correct. And, and, and I was, is it not frustrating? You know, when you don't know, it's frustrating. Uh, and, and, you know, Gavin always says, it's okay to be frustrated. Just, just don't ever let that turn into doubt, that you're doubting God's goodness. You know, and what I tell people, well, brother, man, I just don't know what to do. Then you ain't supposed to do nothing yet because God loves you too much to let you go with half information. He, he is, when he's ready, you will know. That reminds my- me of a, a good piece of advice that I got from, I think it was Brad told me, when I was a lot younger, he said, uh, if you don't know what to do, just do what you know to do. Because uh-huh. if you don't know in a specific area where you're supposed to go, just do what you know you are supposed That's to exactly do, and right. it'll, it'll come with time. Well, uh, James Dobson wrote a book about that, When God is Silent. What do you do when God is silent? You do what you know God has told you to previously do. We know that we're always supposed to pray. We know that we're always supposed to be holy. We know that we're always supposed to be sharing the gospel of Christ. Just... Run in place and do those things. And when God's ready to, you know, let you go in another direction, he'll tell you. It took me two years to know God's will for preaching. Two solid years. Those were two of the most frustrating years of my life. But at the end of those two years, I knew that more than I knew that I was breathing. (laughs) I mean, I knew God wanted me to preach. Period. End of story. Going through that helps you hone that skill to listen. And then living with the, the, the... fallout of a wrong choice and that also homes your it, it increases your desire to listen next time and obey next time when you have to live with the choice of not doing something and you see what God's doing in that direction that you didn't go or the mess that you're living in uh, for however long um, and then you have to be ready to go uh, Adrian Rogers I think it was it said that uh, victorious living is putting the foot of faith on the promises of God or taken a step. Uh, well, which is what the priests had to do before the water was yeah. abated. They had to literally act like they were fixing to step into the water. Uh, and I don't mean act as in they had to, you know, pretend. They had to take a step. And God miraculously split the water before their foot hit the water. And so their foot then hit dry ground. But they, God needed to see, because, you know, here's a people that for 40 years basically said thanks but no thanks. And, and, and so he, he made them, basically, you, you're going to trust me and you're going to prove it. <laughs> and sometimes God Take does that step. with us. So there's another piece in this that um, I would like to just briefly discuss. But part of them going to Macedonia was this vision that Paul had. It says that a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia who was standing there urging them, saying, come to Macedonia and help us. Um, so just a brief other places um, where God has given people visions um, in Acts 9, 10, Ananias had a vision to go to Saul. Saul had a vision that a man named Ananias was coming to lay hands on him to help him regain his sight. Um, in Acts 10, 3, Cornelius had a vision from an angel saying to go to Joppa and bring Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, and in 10, verse 9, Peter's vision about the dietary laws and the thing. Great topic to cover mm-hmm. at another time. Sure. Um, and in Acts 18, 
um, the Lord said to Paul in a vision um, to go and speak, um, and he was, and not to be silent. Like, he was basically saying um, where he was to speak. So visions are coming up repeatedly in Acts. So my question is, they were being told through visions. Do we still have visions today? Was this just a New Testament, this is the new church time? Um, any thoughts on just a just a question? Any thoughts? Right, there? right. So, I, and it's a fair question, and there is a certain sect, S-E-C-T, of Christian faith and Christian denomination that they put a lot of emphasis on this. And just to be straight up honest with you, it's very confusing to, to folks that aren't quote unquote raised up in that particular faith. So, uh, the the Baptistic, and, and I believe that to be accurate, uh, that's not because I'm Baptist, but because I have put it to the test, answer to that is, is that this was a, uh, if you will, uh, Bible time, uh, Bible times approach of God. So he operated through visions uh, in the Old and the New Testament, but once the Word of God was settled... There was no more reason for visions. And because visions weren't this mystical, you know, ooey-gooey feeling uh, where people that get into a great spiritual fervor that anyone can have a vision. A vision was God speaking his word to his prophet. And so uh, now we have the word of God to do that. And the word of God speaks through, or I'm sorry, God speaks through his word, and there is no need for vision now. Do I mean or believe that God does not specifically speak to us? Uh, and, and, you know, some people use, I never use the word term vision because I know the, the confusion that it causes. And, you know, for me, the general Baptist uh, approach is anytime you have a vision, the first question you ask yourself, what did I eat for supper last night? <laughs> I have really strange visions after chili, you know, mm. on the night before and the such. So, uh, and that's a joke. I think Adrian Rogers was the first guy that said that. Uh, but all that said, where where people get in trouble with believing that God still speaks through visions is that uh, if it is counter to the Scripture or in addition to Scripture and they want to put it on the level of Scripture, I've, I've heard preachers stand up and say, I had a word of God last night, and, and now he expects everybody to do it because it's, it's as, what's the word? It's as God-breathed. Yeah, it's as authoritative as the, well, that's, that is not scriptural. And, and you can get into all sorts of heresy uh, and, and the such. And people have uh, justified very bad and sinful decisions in the name of, well, God told me. You know, I had a vision. Well, I don't care what God told you. It's in the word it says no. You know, and, and that wasn't God, you know, is, is my approach. So anyway. And those kinds of, those kinds of visions, I agree, agree completely. There's another class that you mentioned, the, the people, God can certainly use a dream or he can certainly use, uh, you know, you, you fall asleep and you have this mm-hmm. uh, experience while you're sleeping like uh, Pilate's wife did. She said, don't do anything concerning right. this man because I've been troubled right. about him in a dream. I think God still does that. You bet. He can warn you in a dream or direct you in a dream. And but it's again, person, it's not going to be counterintuitive right. to it's the a, right. It's usually a personal call. Yeah, correct. It's usually a call. So, so yes, I do believe. If, and if you want to call it vision, that's fine. I, I just, like I say, I just think the word vision today causes mass confusion. Uh, it, but but 
does God speak to us through his spirit specifically? The, the answer is absolutely. Um, now, how does he do it primarily? Through our study of, of God's word. So it's interesting because Gavin had mentioned this before, but I've since heard preachers talk about how when they're in foreign countries and specifically Muslim, primarily Muslim countries, that some of the people that they win to Christ in those countries report having dreams about essentially about Jesus. Right. Um, and it's troubling to them, especially with the way they've been raised. But the dream itself is very troubling. And they'll go to the missionaries there and say, I need to hear about your Jesus because I've been having Amen. this dream. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't question that at all. You bet. Uh, and, and when someone comes to me and says, I, I've had a dream, Brother Ben, I'm like, okay. You know, I, I don't argue with them. You know? I personally, I've said this before, I have stupid dreams I remember and stupid dreams I don't remember. I've not had those <laughs> visions, but, you know, I no longer discount the fact that some people might. Right, right. And That's that might exactly. be the only thing that gets their attention in their particular region or, or faith or culture. Well, and amen. And, you know, uh, is it Jude? Uh, one of the books of the Bible gives us the ultimate test. And it says, test the spirits to make sure it is of God. So, you know, again, as long as it lines up with the Word of God, I'm, I'm good. I, I just know especially, I guess you could say, where I came from, there's just so much confusion on how God speaks to people and what that means. Uh, I, so I, I, I just think it's very important for us to know that the Word of God is not a limit to God. And, and that's one thing that the people that do believe in visions, that God still does it completely the way He did it, in the Bible times, they believe that for me to say uh, he doesn't do that today, that's a limit. You know, well, no, because it's in the Word of God. So the Word of God is all God within the parameters of the Word of God. Does that make sense? He, he's still all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present, completely within the confines of the Word of God. And so just to put, like, a fine point to that, he's speaking to us still through the word that we have in our Bible right in front of us. Um, and then we have listening to his, like you said, still small voice, right. the prayer time and, and just right. listening. And, and I, you know, Which I struggle with, I struggle with the be quiet part. We listen. all do. <laughs> we, we all do. Uh, but it, it's so important, man. God has just drawn a line with me. Uh, I mean, it's a sin now if I don't stop and, and really, I guess you could say verbatim, work slowly through my quiet time and make sure I'm not just going through the motions. And that has happened since that prayer retreat in December. And God made it abundantly clear to me that I had allowed myself to just, because I, I wouldn't, you know, it was almost like a, a rabbit's foot and a ritual that I would not go through my day without going through my prayer time. Well, I reduced my prayer time to two minutes. And I could just go right through it. And check that off the market. Well, yeah, I preach against that. <laughs> but I was doing it. And so, I'm just saying, could you take the church on a prairie retreat like all of us? Could we it, sign it, up for it that? It is coming to a MC near you. This Absolutely. is 2 Corinthians 6.16. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's been God's design from the very beginning. And preparing the
temple and right. keeping the and we are the temple, temple. grounds clean mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and ready for influence, ready for um, a blessing, ready to obey. Um, I think that's key to the discipline of, of hearing the Holy Spirit. All right. Well, we are out of time for that. Uh, I'm just saying, anybody, any takers? Do you ever have that feeling that uh, your clothes are shrinking in the dryer? That's exactly what's <laughs> I'm happening. I'm convinced. I, I, I'm I think convinced. I've gotten to the bottom of it. It's not the dryer, it's the refrigerator. That's <laughs> <laughs> compliance. I'm just saying. Ouch. Uh, I'm just saying last week really uh, fooled me into thinking that it was time to, to plant. <laughs> and, and now I'm wearing a jacket again. But that's okay. Jack, I'm wearing a coat. I'm back into gloves, no doubt. boots, and the whole bit. No, no doubt. But my uh, DHB 17 peppers are that tall. So I'm excited. Mm -hmm. Better have some warm weather. Yep. I can create the warm weather in the cooler until then. <laughs> Artificially. That's right. Uh, I'm just saying when both extremes are wrong, don't focus too intensely on the side that is less relevant. Wow. <laughs> Say that again. Yeah, Say I'm that again. Sorry. When both extremes are wrong, don't focus too intensely on the side that is less relevant. What made me think of this is I saw a meme. <laughs> Did you think of that yourself? Yeah. Like you didn't find that somewhere? Yeah, I saw a meme. It's like a philosopher. It, it was a... Uh, <laughs> Real close someone, to the lesser of two evils, I'm but so, go ahead. I'm so someone, embarrassed uh, about mine my now. age complaining about, you know, don't let society standards and your parents tell you that you have to overwork yourself and stuff like that. And I was just thinking, we have a way bigger... Like overwork can be a problem, but we have a way we, Yeah, bigger we're not struggling problem. with that right now yeah, as a nation. A whole other <laughs> Definitely not the issue. We, yeah. When we've got so many places that need people to work, you know, exactly. Yeah, we, uh, wow. I could get off on a whole. I'm. A, I could chase that rabbit for 25 minutes, and I'm just not. Mm. So, uh. good call, Ryan. Uh, my, I'm just saying. A few years back, somebody brought to us an article about yoga and how you shouldn't do yoga because it has its roots, roots. in pagan mm -hmm. rituals. And mm -hmm. I always thought about that because I said, I'm not a yoga enthusiast, but the truth is, I'm just old and my All body right. needs to stretch. Right. Well. I had to do some physical therapy, and they gave me these papers with, like, the stretches and yeah. things to do. And I'm like... Upper dog. Yeah. And I'm looking at it, and I was like, oh, so Sphinx? And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, like, you know, that's the... It's a Sphinx, That's yeah. upper dog. And then, you know, that Downward one is... Dog. And I'm, like, saying all the names. That's child's pose. That's bird dog. And, I, and they're looking at me, and I was like, that's all the yoga poses. And they're like, we don't call it any of that. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Much I'm, more dignified. I'm a pagan worshiper. <laughs> I have just given in. P PT, religion. Yep. Well, anymore, it's, uh, what's that one guy, Tony, uh, Tony something? Horton? Yeah, no. Um, he, he uh, oh my gosh, what is that? It was huge for years, and uh, Tony something. Tai Chi? No, no. Is this P90X? Tony, Tony yeah, that's Robbins. it. Is that his P name Tony Horton? Tony Robbins. Yes, Tony Horton. It's, it's Horton, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, now you're right. I'm sorry, I didn't hear Horton. I'm sorry. Uh, so anyway, long story short. Uh, he does all that. I know, and, yeah. And, and, and it, it's good stuff. You know. I had a hard time feeling like, I'm not worshiping anything. I'm just trying right. to survive this right. right now. I think it's the yeah, same it's thing as the whole eating meat off of diets. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Yeah. I was like, yeah, this is like... So if you're, if you're working out <laughs> with the person that thinks it's paid, you know, do yeah, something else. I was else. about to say, we can call this upward yeah. dog or we could call this the stretch where we put our <laughs> hands down in our... <laughs> that's, that's right. It's, it's, anyway. It is the upward praise <laughs> yeah, I, and I the downward it. praise 
I felt a little pagany when I was saying the terms, <laughs> and the therapist was so like, "So have the stretches worked?" Oh yeah, Praise yeah. The Lord. They, they really, it really does. It makes all the difference it, in the world. It does. It does. And just you know, number <laughs> step yeah. one: know your limitations. Yeah, yeah. And you gotta uh, stay pliable. You're getting older, and you're not, you know, probably gonna jump on boxes anymore. It's just a bad idea. Do we want to hit this uh, real quick? Uh, you guys probably haven't done your wins losses, and that's fine because we don't really have to do it till the end. But uh, if, with our bracket challenge, and we firmed that up after last week's BRH. Uh, the winners are going to uh, receive, if it's Gavin and I, we're going to receive uh, some sort of gift card to Canes. And if Ryan and uh, Tara win, they're going to receive a gift card to a lesser chicken place. I, <laughs> I want nuggets brought here. I want to eat them in front right. of you. All right, we'll do it. We'll make it happen. I'm feeling strong about my bracket. I don't oh, know how Ryan's doing. I, I, I've never watched a full basketball game. So and that's fine. I, you'll have to tell me who wins. I don't that's know. how predictable it is. I did a coin flip process. There I you did, go. Uh, and you'll probably bracket. do just as well. I went top, bottom, top, bottom, top, bottom. Yeah. Said bottom, top, bottom. That that's what exactly. I did on my ACT. Yeah. It didn't work out very good. Oh, when funny. I turned mine in, I said, honest, I have not looked at it. It was the day after we were supposed to turn well, it yeah, in. Yeah, no doubt. And, yeah, and I, I thought already, Kentucky would lose what, all along, I swear. One of my brackets was already gone. The whole bracket <laughs> was gone. Because I picked LSU to go to the Final Four. Yeah. I, yeah, the first round of games, I lost one whole you know, side of my bracket uh, because I had Iowa going to the Final Four. They got beaten first game. What do you do? All right. Well, you just wait till next year and that, you do That's it right. All you, right, you so our better start liking canes. <laughs> <laughs> our next topic um, is kind of continuing on from our first, which is um, they were following the Holy Spirit. Um, how does it look here and now for a Christian to walk in the Spirit? So let's say we have newer Christians listening. Um, what is the Holy Spirit, and define what that should. What is the Holy Spirit's role in our life? You bet. So you know, in light of everything that we just said. It's easy. Uh, we had, a, I mean, you know, from the pulpit, I'll say, you know, God spoke to me and, and God told me this and God told me that. And a fella came up to me and says, I don't have that. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? And he said, I, I don't have that. I don't know how to do that. I, you got something I don't. And I said, stop right there. No, that, that is not the truth. You've got everything I've got if you're saved. If you're saved, and we may need to have that discussion. <laughs> but you've got everything I've got. And so it's just a matter of discipleship. It's a matter of learning. It's a matter of growing. And um, th this same person has come back to me uh, since and said, yeah, I, I'm st starting to get it. <laughs> and, and, you know, I love that verse that says, if you will seek him, he will be found. So uh, I personally believe that knowing how to listen from the Lord and listen to the Lord is the most important lesson for any Christian. Amen. Uh, you, you I mean... And I'm going to blame, I'm going to put the blame at, at churches. Too many churches do not make this an absolute, you know, pass-fail situation that if we don't make sure our people know how to hear from the Holy Spirit, we have failed as a church. And, and because that's how he's going to communicate to them what he wants them to do. And so um, all that said, uh, you, you go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, uh, and let's, let's do that very quickly. That's one of, to me, the most challenging of all the verses in the New Testament, for the record. Really? Not just because it's one enormous run-on sentence. Which it, it, it is. is but it it's is. Just, it, it was a lot. I've read it again and again and again, just that first chapter. Yeah. Well, you go ahead, yeah, but let, it's, it's a challenge. So here it is. 
So Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus, and he says, In whom, and that's Jesus, ye also trusted. After that, ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom, also, after that ye believed Jesus, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. So, just to break it down, he is telling the church at Ephesus as individual people that after you heard the gospel preached and after the Holy Spirit called you to him, you trusted. Well, when you trusted that you were a sinner and you trusted that you deserve eternal punishment because of that sin, and we know that from Romans chapter uh, 3.23 and 6.23, and Romans 10.9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. After you went through that exercise to place your faith in Christ and his finished work on the cross for those sins, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So for me, at age five, when I prayed to the Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I deserve eternal punishment. I also believe that your son died on the cross for my sins. At that moment, the Holy Spirit baptized me. The Holy Spirit sealed me. Another word is immersed me with himself, possessed me. And those are all strong words and strong statements. But then he goes on, which is the earnest. So the Holy Spirit is the earnest, the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. So I'm either going to die on this earth and my spirit and soul are going to go straight to heaven because of the Holy Spirit possessing them, or Jesus is going to come back and my body will be changed in the twinkling of an eye, according to Scripture, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. So, you know, that, that's the transaction. That, that, uh, what is that song? Uh, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. And uh, so the transaction is you confessing your sin and the Holy Spirit baptizing you with himself as a result. Uh, he's redeeming you. And so from that point forward now, you have a part of God inside of you. Uh, on this side, if you will, the most important part, the Spirit of God. And He is guiding you, leading you, and directing you. Now, here's the coolest thing about the Spirit. When I just said the most important part, I didn't mean that, that He's more important than God the Father, God the Son. I mean that in our situation here on this physical earth and in this physical body, that is how he planned to possess us through the Spirit. And so... And made our faith real. That's made our faith real. That's right. It, it is real. I mean, I, I am a possessed being. And, and so he, the, the Spirit, is my connection now to God the Father and God the Son. And so now he intends to communicate to me through his Spirit and through the Word of God and the such. So... Uh, I always go back to the seven realities of experiencing God. Uh, the seven realities of experiencing God are simply, uh, number one, God is on mission. Well, what's he on mission doing? He's trying to win a lost world to himself. Reality number two, he wants a, real, a personal love relationship with you that's real and personal. Number three, he wants you to join him in his mission to reach everybody else for Christ. Number four, he speaks to you. Now, this, so this is, speaks directly to what we're talking about here. How do you know that the Holy Spirit, 
how do you follow the Holy Spirit? Well, he speaks to you. How does he speak to you? He speaks to you through the word. He speaks to you through prayer. He speaks to you through the church. He speaks to you through other believers. And then lastly, on that reality number four, he speaks to you through circumstances. I'm not trying to be anything but real, but a person that only listens to God because of circumstances. You know, it just seems like God just kept putting, yeah, yeah, you're shallow. That's right. And, And now... Here's the beauty of this. He still wants to talk to you. So, so he's talking to you the only way you'll let him, you know. And sooner or later, you're going to get tired of hitting your head on all these negative, potentially difficult circumstances because God's trying to lead you where he wants you, that you're, you're going to start seeking him. And when you seek him, he's going to point you to his word. He's going to point you to his church. He's going to point you to some godly people. He's going to point you to extended prayer and things of that nature. And then, of course, you've got uh, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, which is um, right after, essentially. Uh, let me get there. Ephesians chapter 5. 18. 18. Uh, and it just says straight up, be not drunk with wine, where is an excess? And most people get hung up there. That's an illustrative situation. Just as alcohol would consume you, he's saying, you. yeah, don't give your control to that. Give your control to the Spirit. Be filled, and, and yes, that word means controlled with the Spirit. Speaking to you, so here's how you do it. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know, I just love it when I come to church and I just get into just a perfect mood after the worship. Well, why is that? Because you're doing exactly what Ephesians 5, 18 says to do. You're speaking to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How many of us do that? How many of us through the day praise Him for anything and everything? Well, that's part of being filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. And then this is a big one. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. You have got to be humble. And you have got to be submissive to other Christians and people in your life because that's how God wants you to operate. And then we get back to the core principle. You know, love God, love others. So, I mean, that, that's kind of a word vomit. But <laughs> it, it's that, that Ephesians 5.18 is a very good object lesson for how it happens. Right. It, as alcohol takes over control of your body as you consume it, so the Holy Spirit will take over control the controls as you yield them. Right. So all, vacating the levers of control in your life and offering them to him, you'd be shocked what happens next. He, he'll take you up on it. Well, I mean, just going farther in that analogy, I heard a preacher just really spell it out how um, when you're consumed with alcohol, you speak differently. When you're consumed with the Holy Spirit, you speak differently. Right. Um, you you go places you maybe normally wouldn't. And when you're with the Holy Spirit, you might endeavor places you normally wouldn't. Um, you and some might, people won't understand. It'll be gibberish to them. So I mean, that, right. that part of it too but just that idea like when you you know when you're drinking people are more apt to feel courage to do something they normally wouldn't they with lose the holy, inhibition with yeah. holy spirit it's same you thing lose you inhibition. have courage to right. be a witness that you normally wouldn't yeah. um well my my one of my favorite illustrations uh when i was lost in the bowels of barnes hospital years oh, ago there. yeah uh these two made it out. yeah no doubt uh w- with no appendages added or taken away this um that these two police officers were talking, and they didn't know each other. It was pretty obvious, but they were trying to get to know each other. And, and they basically, and all this happened in the process was about 45 seconds. 
uh, one was trying to invite the other over to the house to, you know, enjoy some, some entertainment. And as I was getting into the elevator, the one says, no, you're not a Christian, are you? <laughs> because what he was inviting him to was, you know, beyond the pale for a Christian. Oh, no, no, don't, you know, don't worry about that. And, and I mean, again, and I'm sure you guys have had experiences like this. The Holy Spirit got in that elevator with me and said, you've got to say something. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay, what, what do I say? What do I say? And as the doors are closing, I lean out and I say, gentlemen, you may find yourself needing Christianity someday. And the doors closed. <laughs> And one of them, it just got away with him. Because I wasn't trying to be mean. I wasn't trying to upset him. I, I was trying to do what the Holy Spirit told me to do. One of them said, it's only for one night as I'm going up. <laughs> and how many people Famous have one night they words. wish they could take back? They, yes. The greatest sermon. Mm-hmm. And young people, you can YouTube uh, R.G. Lee, Payday Sunday. Take you about 30 minutes. Listen to it. It's one of the greatest sermons ever. And it's about how God deals with sin. And he tells in that sermon that, because he, he was a big-time preacher in Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, he was at Bellevue before Adrian Rogers was there. And he said, I've had millionaires sitting in my office telling me I would give everything that I have if I could take back two nights, two hours, two minutes type thing. And so, a- amen. All right. All right, so um, our third and final segment, we like to save this for our Trek students. These are our junior high class. We love having them. Um, They submit questions. We answer them. Tonight, um, I went rogue, and I made my own topic for you. So if you don't like it, you can send your emails to Ben Kingston. Um, (laughs) Tomatohack65gmail.com. Our topic tonight, because Easter is just around the corner, um, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus and why is the resurrection important and is there any evidence at all that Jesus actually was raised from the dead? Very good. So um, I- I'm going to share with you, uh, this fella has went through some pretty, um, I don't know what the word would be, foundational changes in his latter life. He's an, he's an elderly gentleman now. But when I was in college, Hank Hanegraaff was what he still is called the Bible Answer Man. And he's got a, a, you know, he does a radio thing every day, the Bible Answer Man. So you send your questions to him, and he answers them according to Scripture. He's very good. Uh, He has since, I think he's gotten into Orthodox Judaism, which is kind of crazy to me. But, uh, I mean, it's between him and God. I don't have any doubt that Hank's going to heaven, so on and so forth. But he, he, you know, and, and he has been put through the ringer uh, day after day after day for years on questions about evolution and creation and fill in the blank. So uh, I don't know if it's just PTSD, you know, or what. But uh, I, that doesn't stop me, though, from using the things that Hank Hanegraaff have come up with that I know to be accurate. And uh, that's something that you are going to have to, you know, God forbid, guys, the people that you look up to could make very poor choices in the future. And you're going to have to decide for yourself, am I going to go their direction or am I going to go the direction that the Holy Spirit wants me to go? Uh, I I am one of the few of my college friends that are still pastoring in the such. Almost all of them have flamed out, burnt out, uh, sinned out, whatever the case may be. And so, you know, that's their choice. I've got to make my choice. 
Uh, and um, all that said, these are the five things that he says proves that Jesus raised from the dead. A fatal torment. You may or may not be aware that a lot of liberals uh, try to tell us that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. He passed out. So then when he got in the tomb, he woke up. And so somehow this man that had been beaten for almost a 24-hour period, he had had uh, the greatest blood loss that a person could have through crucifixion. He had nails through his wrists and his feet. He had a spear shoved up and hit the pericardium of his heart where blood and water came out. Somehow he didn't die, and he revived. Uh, now, one of the, one of the thing, reasons that you cannot trust the swoon, and that's what it's called, the swoon theory, is because these people apparently haven't studied Roman crucifixion. Uh, Romans don't bury you unless you're dead. And if you're not dead... They were dead, kind of experts at killing people. They're, they're experts at killing people, uh, blood on their face was an honor uh, and a tribute, and so they they're gonna stab you till you die. You know they're simply not gonna bury. A they live knew a person. dead body when they saw it. They knew a dead body. And when if they, they saw didn't, it. they themselves could be killed. Like, That's exactly right. And along with the soldiers that were guarding exactly his grave, right. they were guarding it literally with their life because if somebody broke into that grave, they could pay with their life and would Correct. have. So. And that's exactly right. Another thing, too, is that uh, I, I have been in the hospital as a result of a serious injury or two. You don't get better in a couple of days. And, and every day in the hospital, it takes three days to... Oh, you're worse. You're worse, <laughs> right, because the muscles atrophy. Oh, I mean... They go away. I've been a nurse for 18 years now, and I've, um, I've long removed from the ICU, but I can tell you, if you spend three days on a deathbed in the ICU, you do not get up and walk and talk in three Months. days. Yeah. I mean, Months. it takes forever to recover. And so how's this, even if he did swoon, he passed out. With the wounds described. With the wounds described, how's he going to move a stone that there's no way for us to estimate how many tons this stone weighed? It, it's just, an, it's not just improbable, it's impossible. So fatal torment. Any other comment? Well, I was going to mention on the stone, it wasn't just a stone that was just like a wheel that just easily Correct. rolled up there and easily. They had a system where it like locked. Like right. it just was not real easy to just, oh, let's just push this out of the way and open up the grave. And there's a reason for that. They didn't have embalming fluid back then. They, they did have spices and such, but they wanted that thing to be hermetically sealed. They wanted it to be airtight. And so that's exactly right. Uh, an empty tomb, number two. Uh, we, we have absolute proof. There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem to this day. And so uh, Jesus was in that tomb for three days, essentially. And so an empty tomb. Number three, appearances of Jesus. Jesus appeared to how many people? Forty plus at the first go. And ultimately around 500 is most people, well, here, most scholars. I was going to read that um, where Paul says it's in 1 Corinthians 15. And he says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. Um, and then it talks later in 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can someone of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no re resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ, w oh, sorry, I skipped the part where he, he said who he appeared skipped it sorry 
For I delivered to you as a first importance, as I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers all at one time, most of who are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Who could have come and disputed? So what he was saying there is, though, you know, if you don't believe me, go ask. Like 500 witnesses. 500 people saw it, but if you still don't, you know, and he said, some have fallen asleep, so okay, some of them have passed, but you go ask. They were there. It's kind of like if we witnessed a major event and somebody was telling it wrong, we would say, no, no, I was there. That's not what happened. And that's what he's saying. If you don't believe me, ask some of these other 500-plus people. Right. They'll tell you the truth. And in our judicial system, it only takes one eyewitness to basically free you of a murder trial. If you have one person that saw you at another place at the time that that murder happened, you're off scot-free. One person. And so this is 500 people that seen Jesus after he resurrected. Now, the fourth one is honestly my favorite, transformation of the apostles. It makes no sense that all 12 apostles, I think all of them except one, experienced a martyr's death. I think John was the only one that Yeah, John was the only one that didn't die by the sword, by crucifixion, or by hanging. They, all 11 of them, yeah, 11, lost their lives because of Jesus Christ, and they just stuck to it. They were completely transformed. You wouldn't give your life for a... A A lie. A lie. Well, that's something they say. Like, well, these... These apostles just, they lied about all yeah, of it. Yeah, now, made it up. think of a reason you would lie. If you're going to lie about something, you would lie to Save your get skin. yourself out of trouble. You would lie to make yourself, yourself look better. Right, right, right. Um, maybe they would lie to gain, gain fame, gain yeah. fortune. But what they gained was major persecution. They were super not popular. Like, it was not a, it was not a popular thing. Jews, I mean, you, temp- yeah. Kind of like standing at, uh, for pro-life. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah. It's World just hatred. the truth. If yeah. they did this and said, you know what, I am so willing to <clears> preach <throat> this word as the truth that I, you can kill me if you want to, but I'm not going to back down. Peter himself, when, when the, the base, they basically they beat him. This, this was after one particular situation at the temple. Uh, they healed a man, and they were proclaiming Jesus to be resurrected. And so they brought him in, you know, called him on the carpet, and they beat them for good measure and said, don't you talk anymore about Jesus. And Peter basically said, you, you guys need to decide. Uh, we know what we're doing. We are going, we're, we're going to keep doing it. And you need to decide whether this is of God or of man. We've, we know what we're doing. You know, it's a well, terrible and that's paraphrase. that's the but thing with the resurrection. When it comes to the resurrection, people either have to believe it or not believe it. And if they believe it, they have, they have to make a change. Right. Maybe that, they, don't, they don't want to change. So the other option is, well, I'm not going to believe in that because I don't want to have to, I don't want to change what I'm doing here. And Robbie used to point out, it could have been so easy for Jesus to say, I'm going to raise, I'm going to raise again in three days in spirit and I will be with my, right. so he could have. Yeah done it gone the easy route but he said physically he would be that this temple would be rebuilt in three days and that he would physically appear so you can see that he could have gotten out of the whole uh the criticisms of the resurrection even being possible just by saying i, I did it in spirit winston churchill uh the 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 famous lion of england 
uh, who his leadership God used to preserve England as a nation through the World War II from all the bombing of German, Germany. He said, when you raise yourself from the dead, you are who you say you are and you can do what you say you can do. And that's exactly what Jesus did. So fifth, the skeptics' conversions. Um, people all throughout the ages since the resurrection who have been completely uh what would the word be, negative and, and enemies to the cross, they've gotten saved. And when someone tells me I'm setting out to prove the Bible's false and that Jesus isn't real, I know they're going to get saved within a few years because every person, uh, Lee Strobel is the latest famous person, and then uh, uh, McDowell, Sean, uh, no, Josh, Josh McDowell, uh, he set out. Josh McDowell is one of the greatest intellects of our day, and he set out to prove that Jesus was not real and that the Bible was a hoax and the churches were, you know, lying. And he got saved. And then he's written two books, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And I'm not trying to be anything but real. I can't hardly read that book. It's so, it's over my head. But, but man, does he go deep. So a few other things to, you know, in answer to, was Jesus really resurrected? Um, some people have said, well, all those 500 people hallucinated. It was, <laughs> it was a big hallucination. <laughs> they which, smoking marijuana. Yeah, exactly. They got a hold of something. But if it was 500 people would not have hallucinated the exact right. same thing. And then if that were the case, I feel like the, the Romans or the Jews, somebody would have produced the body and right. said, you know what? Here's your body. He didn't raise from the dead. Here's the dead body. But there was never a body. That's right. So um, another point I wanted to just mention is that Jesus first appeared to women. And in the Bible times, women were not, they just weren't in the place of respect and honor that they are today. Um, They would have changed their story um, in a couple places. They would have changed their story to say, well, he didn't appear to women. He appeared to somebody super important. Peter, John. But but they tell the story like it is. And then the other thing is, if they were going to retell the story to make themselves look better, they would have retold the story to make themselves look better. Look better. They they looked horrible. Terrible. Like you know, Jesus died. They scattered. scattered. They they just went under. They, you know, it was how I picture roaches when the lights come on. They're gone. Like gone. couldn't be found. Hiding out. They would have changed the story to say, well, we knew he was gonna yeah. raise from the dead. We were just waiting <laughs> for him. No, no, no. They, we did everything they, he told us to do. They told the story like it was, which was embarrassing for them. So if their story wasn't true, they would have changed it. To make themselves look better. Peter would have taken out the whole, Three you know, yeah, denial thing. I guarantee you. So, well, you brought up roaches. So, if, if we're good, we're, I want to share a story. How long is your story? I have one more. Oh, go ahead. Um, the final, uh, I guess, argument about Jesus' resurrection is that they say, well, it was just a legend. Over time, just the story of Jesus grew, and it just became a legend that he went from a good teacher right to he was raised from the dead. Um, But going back to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, and I'm just going to read this from my notes because I'm going to butcher it if I don't. Um, But it talks about how it takes generations for legends to change. Correct. And this was written, 1 Corinthians was written within 20 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. But 20 years is not likely enough time to make a legend. And the example that this pastor gave was, take the death of Dale Earnhardt. Um, 
Some of you remember that. Well, I actually watched it. I don't even watch NASCAR, and I did that day. So I watched it. What if somebody said, well, Dale didn't really die in that crash. He got up and walked out of that place and then, you know, rode off into the sunset and was totally fine. Well, we would say, that didn't happen. My uncle was there, right. and he knew, or I watched it on TV. That, right. you know, 20 years, that was 20 years ago. That's, again. Right. So legend would not have changed All of those people have to quickly. die before you can... Right. right. So for them to say it was a legend is not likely. And then they also pointed out that that actual verse where they said um, Christ died for our sins and was buried and that was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That little part they said was kind of like a song people sing. And even the most liberal, you know, New Testament scholars will even admit that that song that Paul quoted was within two years of Jesus's Resurrection. Resurrection. So they're like that again. The legend is just not possible. Right. That phrase is called something. I can't think of the name. Of it. Yes, creed is the death, the creed. death burial, creed. resurrection. Yes. Amen. And you can get even closer if you use those uh, deductive reasoning. If Acts was written by Luke, and it didn't include Paul's death, which was around 67 A.D., and you figure he wrote Luke years earlier, and Luke quoted Peter, Peter's. Uh, some of his testimony that was recorded in Mark, so Mark gets even closer. So you're getting to within 10 or 15 years of Christ's life. You can't get any legend in in that time. Right. All right, now we're done. <laughs> All right, guys, real quick. We got two minutes uh, according to this. How many of you like roaches? You like roaches? All right. Very few. Very few. I, I'm impressed, Macy. Um, so, yeah, they are. They are. So my brother, this is years and years ago, my brother was living, him and his wife, in this uh, house, and it was infested with roaches. They were renting. And so it was nighttime. His wife was asleep. He was trying to sleep, but he hears, and he looks up, and this roach is crawling on the ceiling, and he gets right over him. And he's just watching. And all of a sudden, in a 3D-type situation, it's just getting closer and closer, and he can't really figure out what's going on. And about that time, he realizes it let go of the ceiling. And Tony had huge amounts of hair in his chest. And that roach hits right in the middle of that patch of hair, and Tony goes, whoa, whoa. And, of course, Vicky's like, ah, ah, what's going on? And he's like, it's a roach, it's a roach. And, you know, Tony is 6'2", 300, none your business, huge guy. And, and, and he's just going nuts because this roach landed on his hairy chest. And, of course, that, that just made my day when he told me about it. They killed every roach within a three-mile radius after that experience. Dropped the roach atomic bomb. Roach atomic bomb, yeah. Oh, I have a great follow-up story All right, let's hear it. My sister, and if you've ever met her, she is very... You got I two. Mean, she's... Oh, my, my smoking hot pretty sister, as I always call her. The pretty one. There you go. Uh... They, she's pretty pristine. You know, she likes nicer things. And they were on, um, like, a family trip, and she let her husband pick the hotel, and it was a roach motel. Oops, I mean, no. it, was, it was bad. And so she woke up, and she's like, is there something on my back? And he's like, oh, it's just a leaf, you know, and just <laughs> – and so then weeks later, he tells her the truth that it was a walking stick oh. was on her back in a hotel room. I'm like, close. that's the ultimate. Stick Those are leaf. gross. <laughs> it was just a leaf, babe. Go that back to That's probably sleep. very wise on his part. <laughs> very wise. All right. God bless you guys. Thanks, everybody.